0: Hey everyone, it's Evelyn. Thank you for joining me again uh, for this side series that I'm doing on my favorite book, which is called Into the Light by Dr. John Lerma. He is a hospice doctor from Houston, Texas. And this has been my favorite book for several years. This is actually my seventh time reading it. I decided that I wanted to read it out loud to all of you uh, because I reference it often in this podcast. It does not have Uh, much correlation other than how it's braided into my belief system to a certain extent. Um, So if you decide to skip these, it's no big deal. Um, Please tune in for the regular podcast sessions that are uh, actually me talking about life and the exercises that I'm doing to better myself and bring everybody on the journey with me that are at the regular times on Saturdays and Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Eastern. Um, But if you've been following along with me, uh, thank you, and we will continue in a couple moments. If you have not been following along with me, um, this material can be a little uh, sensitive for some listeners. It is about hospice and disease and dying, so it can get a little dark and t- at times uh, it does have inspirational touches to it and aha moments that are mixed in there, but it can be a little bit offensive. Um, just because it's the stories that are raw about people's lives and at the end of their lives and the conversations that they're having with their doctor. Uh, And the doctor is the author of the book. So um, like I said, if it's not for you, it's not offending me at all. Um, This is just to be able to share with everybody because I know that a lot of people listen to this um, at certain parts of their free time or while they're doing something else so that they can focus Maybe you're gardening or something like that, and you needed something to listen to. Uh, And because I referenced it, I wanted everybody to experience it the way that I was, and I was going to be reading it anyway, so I figured I would read it out loud. So we're about to embark on chapter 16, which is the S-factor, the supreme act of love. As I walked along the vast network of passageways within the hospital on my way to see the next patient, I passed the neonatal unit and heard the cry of a newborn baby. My mind wandered for a moment as I began to wonder about the origin of life and his plan. I seemed to only have questions, no answers, that is, until I met my next patient. Dr. Jean Pierre was a 67-year-old anthropological pathologist an agnostic who was dying of multiple myeloma and malignancy that affected his bones, immune system, and kidneys, and the end result, which is renal failure and diffuse skeletal destruction. The commonly seen scenario for patients with this disease includes spinal cord invasion, resulting in paralysis and excruciating bone pain. Dr. Jean Pierre was among the worst cases that I had ever seen. This highly intelligent and stoic individual had two weeks before his death to describe his life in review, as well as a spiritual being that was assisting in his pain process. Despite his unsupportable pain, Dr. Jean-Pierre was filled with inner joy as he conveyed his spiritual insights. He described the spiritual entity he called Michael as a cosmic, benevolent, and radiant being. Michael's apparent first order of business, if you will, was to provide the necessary information needed to comprehend my life's lessons so I could transition to the afterlife. God uses familiar images of earthly things to mold our concept to heaven so that our value of life is outweighed by the overwhelming experience of peace and love. This method allows souls to choose the next world. My passion related to the study of humankind and creation, so Michael chose to elucidate God's love, which is the key to understanding our lessons in life, in a way that only I could identify with. It is this familiar setting that God tailors for us and every soul to allow for non-threatening atmospheres where lessons can be reviewed and learned. The lesson to a joyful and less convoluted life review is to examine one's actions on a daily basis and ask God for complete guidance to create the necessary changes that ultimately lead to peace and love. This will allow one to see death as a symbol for a more peaceful and beautiful life. All one has to do is believe in God. That's it. He'll do the rest. Despite its simplicity, the preponderance of humans delay to welcome it on their deathbed. Dr. Lerma, because I didn't know if God existed and I didn't see death as a positive emotional reaction, this is why Michael was sent to help me attain and yearning to move towards God. I had the angels working overtime to make up for my lackadaisal attitude. Dr. Jean-Pierre said that Michael reached down into his chest and with a gentle motion withdrew his spirit. He explained my soul was now traversing in the universe through a brightly lit tunnel and heading deep into God's heart. I asked Michael if this was a wormhole the way that Einstein had described it, and he said yes. Immersed in white light, he began to discuss the importance of spirituality in science with regard to space travel. He said that it may be perfected by scientists in the near future, resulting in both interstellar and intergalactic travel through the use of advanced propulsion systems, amplified gravity, antimatter, and even wormholes. He gave details of meeting other peaceful souls not only in our galaxy but in far stretches of the universe. He emphasized that this accomplishment could only be realized if scientists equally persisted in their quest for God. This is imperative because through spirituality comes peace and love. Without these qualities, humans could potentially infect the rest of God's creation with our hatred, pride, and arrogance. Dr. Jean Pierre asked Michael to enlighten him about free will and how God planned to unfold it. Michael explained to him that grasping the enormity of the divine gift would require traveling back in time to observe the creation of the cosmos and life via the first earthly single-celled creature almost four billion years ago, resulting from God's most vast creation more than 13 billion years ago, the universe. Michael allowed Dr. Jean-Pierre to view the enormity of God's fireworks display. He saw God's hand ignite the flame and it started it all, the Big Bang. Michael clarified that the supreme act of violence was love in its purest form and that this immense energy assured our existence so humans could have a chance to be co-creators with God. All this for us? Dr. Jean-Pierre asked Michael. He quoted Michael's response, all of this infinitely and more. Again, Dr. Jean-Pierre asked if man would be able to travel throughout the universe one day, and he reported Michael as saying yes, but only when we are not constrained by the judgment and objection. man has to do is have the loving intention for creation and not for destruction. Einstein was nearly on the verge of acknowledgement, but was not given the ability by God, as the world was not ready. After all, look at what politicians did with the power of the atom when it was discovered. It was not meant to kill others. Had we not taken that route during World War II and not killed so many innocent spiritual souls, including spiritual scientists, man would already be traversing through the galaxy. Dr. Jean-Pierre explained, Man is continually given The opportunities to develop cures for fatal illnesses, but not enough scientists and lay people are praying for fervor, with fervor, and performing acts of unconditional love to allow our needs to transpire. In fact, we're falling prey to our own laws. Just look at the handful of people who have successfully removed prayer from schools. We're not fighting back because we're too concerned with trying to make money, vanity, and just mere complacency. Despite the millions of people belonging to faith-based churches, only a few are truly praying and carrying out unconditional acts of love and kindness to balance out the opposite forces. Just one person praying unconditionally and suffering willingly can raise the level of humanity forever and thus give us the courage to regain our losses. All one has to do is just believe. Dr. Jean-Pierre said that Michael sensed his deep sadness and decided to move to the next lesson. Six billion years later, I found myself back on Earth next to a cellular structure I had once seen under the microscope during my early years in college, Dr. Jean Pierre said. He described the cell as being surrounded by the virginal clear blue waters of the planet, left by the melting ice of the melted asteroids and comets. and comets. Angels were flying around the planet, appearing to be guarding God's plan. Dr. Jean Pierre saw the explosion of life spanning millions of years he saw nature's first multicellular organisms multiplying and then dying. Moving faster than the speed of light, he saw an awesome and frightening sight, several mass extinctions that would appear to decimate nearly every species on the planet. The clear blue oceans were then dark and empty. He said Michael comforting him by explaining that God's plan, seemingly violent at times, was perfect and best explained through the theory of relativity. Einstein, almost four billion years later, explained that the energy is neither created nor destroyed. It only changes form. In other words, Dr. Jean-Pierre told me that because God's plan included love and free will, he thought that it would first be introduced by endowing it to the first particles, the atom and its counterparts. From the very beginning, the atom carried God's immense love and energy needed to explore his love and creation. Thus, the atom-induced mass extinctions that were really energies changing form to develop a viable environment for man. Dr. Jean-Pierre said, slowly I saw the plants begin to evolve and insects only to be lost in the second great mass extinction upon earth. After that extinction, reptiles were formed independent of the sea, again only to die off. The dinosaurs came into life with flowering plants and first fish and birds. Their decimation again was required to achieve God's loving plan. The time now is about one hundred to 200,000 years BC. I was told that this was when the first Homo sapiens appeared. The stage had been set. The necessary climate, water, land, trees, and minerals were in place to allow man to live and create. From cave paintings to the pyramids of Giza, to Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Buddha, Da Vinci, Galileo, Columbus, Apollo 11, and now Space Station, I was shown the natural world as it unfolded. As Michael continued to show me present-day Earth, I thought about how it took more than four billion years to create six billion souls and all from that single cell. Dr. Jean-Pierre was told that man could probably pass, could possibly pass, as those before us did, into oblivion, into the sixth extinction that he, as a scientist, knew was already in progress. Dr. Lerma, I was reassured that God's plan was unfolding in perfection because it was created out of the greatest ingredient, unconditional love. I was confused about this statement, so I asked Michael, how could this occur if man was destroying the environment and each other? I was told that God knew that this would occur and was deeply saddened by it. However, he knew that this was part of the evolution of free will. When God engineered the planet, he secured its existence through self-protective mechanisms, including tsunamis, hurricanes, volcanoes, and climate changes. Dr. Jean Pierre explained that God wanted man to have access to the planet so as to learn valuable lessons via the human body. He said that the body was engineered to house our soul, to give us the necessary experiences, knowledge, and wisdom, to seek the return to God in the hereafter. That's why securing the planet's existence is crucial. Dr. Jean-Pierre told me that he was able to reconcile with what he saw that he had learned on Earth. As a scientist, much of what was shown by Michael was familiar to him and didn't surprise him. However, his knowledge was not able to develop new theories because a the spiritual factor or regent was missing. He understood for the first time that science without God was virtually limited and that science with God was unlimited. The S-factor, as Dr. Jean-Pierre phrased it, is the missing link and the diriger to the sole survivor, survival. By this time, Dr. Jean-Pierre was deteriorating rapidly, and he asked if I would pray with him to help him pass from the world to the next I was honored by this request, and I agreed. Twenty-four hours after our prayer, he looked at me and whispered that Michael and the other angels were floating above, calling him to follow. He said, Dr. Lerma, the path the angels are leading me to is so bright and beautiful. The feeling of peace and love is emanating from every single particle of light, penetrating my very soul. He seemed to swiftly focus at the foot of the bed, and with the most stunning, radiant smile I'd ever seen, he took his last breath. I imagined God at the foot of his bed as many of my other patients had described, washing his feet in humility and pure love as he accepted Dr. Jean-Pierre into his heavenly kingdom. Doctor's Notes and More Dialogue with Dr. Jean-Pierre The majority of what Dr. Jean-Pierre discussed was about the creation of the world and understanding of free will. He chose to elaborate on a few other subjects, though, with regard to God's second coming, world peace, hell, and God's unconditional love for all. Dr. Jean Pierre explained that man will continue to evolve in technology, medicine, and spirituality because the majority of people on Earth are God-loving. As far as total peace on Earth, that will occur when man learns to unconditionally love his entire psyche, including his darkest part. Only then will men be able to make a quantum leap toward our heavenly realm here on Earth. This event will be preceded by the second visitation of God on Earth. During that time, people will develop a faith that can heal one physically and emotionally, that can move mountains if need be. Technology will evolve, traveling via teleportation, using gravity machines to distort space and time in order to travel through God's vast universe. Relationships and families will be permanent and loving fixtures on earth. This will occur. I saw it in the near future, Dr. Jean Pierre told me. He went on to say that whatever we do as souls, we are destined to fail unless we believe and allow and follow the way of Jesus Christ. Michael told Dr. Jean-Pierre that God did not want robots to share in his kingdom. He wanted human beings to love him for him, for he loved us. In other words, we are to desire at our core, which God desires for himself to love and be loved. And that was the impetus for the existence of our creation. Dr. Jean-Pierre spoke of God's universal law of homeostasis. For every action, there must be an equal and opposite reaction. He was told that to achieve nirvana here on earth, one must start by balancing every negative action with a positive one. One can only do this if he or she is genetically healthy and capable. In other words, if one is found sound mind and body. If someone hurts himself or others physically, emotionally or spiritually, he or another caring soul must undertake an act of recompense. Spiritual knowledge and wisdom are needed for this to occur. Dr. Jean Pierre briefly spoke of sins and the power of forgiveness. He reminded me that Christ died for our sins and that whoever believed in him would be forgiven and have everlasting life. However, that didn't mean that we could continue sinning. That is why consequences exist. They keep most people from repeating the same negative action. Positive actions bring about positive reactions and vice versa. God did not promise to remove the consequences to our actions. He just promised to forgive us. These consequences act as lessons to make us stronger and more resilient beings. God made us sure that every action ultimately leads to a positive one, no matter how horrific the initial reaction is. Once people can forgive themselves and others, then this world will heal itself. We will carry our memories into the next realm, possibly the positive and the negative. If one does not forgive himself or herself, the pain of those memories follow. Michael told Dr. Jean-Pierre that it hurts God to think that One cannot find forgiveness because he gave his only son to the world. All we have to do is believe with all of our heart that his son died for our sins, past, present, and future. Still, most people do not know the simple truth to everlasting life and love. Their complacency draws them into the raw and powerful forces of darkness, of which pride and guilt are some of the worst. The good news is that God will never abandon us. He will wait as long as it takes for every soul to seek him out. After all, he has eternity to work with. Dr. Jean-Pierre told me to never forget that that energy changes form and never dies. The same holds true for our soul. It will exist for eternity and hopefully will not be separated for our loving creator. In the end, God, le- God leaves that up to us. After all, it's about free will. Dr. Jean-Pierre said that hell is definitely a self-separation from God, as God never separates himself from us. Guilt is the darkest, deepest, and most potent emotion. It can take eons to peel off the layers that are separating the imprisoned soul from experiencing God. Dr. Jean Pierre noted I saw people in this state and felt their immeasurable loneliness, self hatred, fear, and utter coldness. It was horrific. Michael reminded Dr. Jean Pierre of God's infinite love and how he never ceases from working to set us free from our self indictment. Dr. Jean Pierre said that he spoke to several people who had been rescued by God. They told him to forgive himself immediately by truly believing that Christ died for our sins. They told him to pray for the millions of souls that chose to remain in pure darkness. Dr. Lerma, I implore you to pray for those bound souls and tell others to do the same. Work with love and kindness in all you do, every second of every day, and forgive yourself when you fail. Continually pray for self-forgiveness, for the forgiveness of others, and for God's love to live within you and guide you in all that you do and set the captives free. Just remember that anything is possible with God. All we have to do is believe. In conclusion, Dr. Jean Pierce's comments about the rest of the stories here certainly altered my very essence, leaving me with more questions than answers. As I closed my eyes to ponder about what I had witnessed, I wondered in total awe about our world, its beginning and its possible end. Was our universe of tangibility and intangibility born of an act of supreme violence A big bang expanding over outward, a cosmos born of matter and gas 13.7 billion years ago? Who had the audacity for such an idea? Were we part of that plan billions of years ago? Were we here to procreate and replenish the earth before surrendering to our descendants? If there is a beginning, there must be an end. Do we burn as fires in our time only to be extinguished, succumbing to the essence of the universe? Will all of this end one day? Life no longer passing to life? As I pictured God's hand, as Dr. Jean Pierre had described, I wondered if it was he who lit the flame, which would also let it burn out. Would this lead to our extinction? Or if this fire of life living inside of us is meant to go on, then who decides that? Who will tend to the flames? Can our creator reignite the spark even as it turns cold and weak? Is the answer at our death as we are about to part this world? Is there a plan purpose or reason to our existence on earth and after we die will we pass as those before us did into dark matter or is this a sixth extinction that scientists warn is already in progress or will the mystery be revealed through death a sign a symbol a revelation or through the physical manifestation of god after everything i had seen and heard how could i believe that this vast universe and the billions of lovingly created souls have no eternal rhyme or reason These experiences have been no less than life-altering and have literally brought me to my knees in gratitude and unconditional love for our Creator. I believe with all of my soul that our spirit energy was not meant to be destroyed or recreated, but to merely change form. The manifestation of this this imaginal energy was to experience God's monumental creations— it is quite clear as God's plan continues to unfold that our tears, sadness, and pain will be left with the physical body only to turn to dust and be cleansed with their inadequacies. The spirits of ult- the spirits that ultimately connect with God will left to be experienced total and unconditional love through wisdom and understanding. Those that choose separation will not be forgotten, as God is an all-loving creator. One perspective will be vastly different, finally looking at everything with total joy and love and final understanding of God's awe-inspiring plan. Young Matthew from chapter 1 said it best, that in God's plan it is very difficult to understand now, but soon you too and all God's souls will play with the dolphins. The evidence for pre-death and visions of afterlife, in conclusion of our book reading, I'm just going to go through and do it in this episode. So surprise. Evidence for pre-death visions in the afterlife. The quest for facts that support the idea of postmodern survival and pre-death visions do not appear suddenly. It is rooted as far back as 2000 years ago when Jesus experienced pre-death vision that he would be killed and buried only to rise on the third day. Plato described in the Republic visions of a soldier. Who was thought to be killed in action, and the Roman, with his younger brother, described as ghost case in Athens, where ghostly information led to the discovery of bones of a murdered man. Second-century Palestinian Rabbi Shimon Bar also wrote about pre-death visions, documented in the Book of Splendor, often referred to as the Zohar, a five-volume mystical exegesis written in Aramaic on the five books of the Torah following is a quote from Zohar with regard to pre-death visions at the time of a man's death he is allowed to see his relatives and companions from the other world we have learned that when a man's soul departs from him all of his relatives and companions in the other world join in and show in a place of delight the following is a widely reported dream or pre-death vision of Abraham Lincoln as it were reportedly told to Lincoln's friend Will Hill Lemon just days before his assassination there seemed to be a death like stillness about me then I heard subdued sobs as a number of people were weeping, and I thought that I'd left my bed and wandered downstairs. I went from room to room. The same mournful sounds of distress met me as I passed along. I kept on until I arrived at the East Room, which I entered. There I met with a signal- sickening surprise. Before me was a catafalque, which rested a corpse. who was dead. In the White House, I demanded one of the soldiers. The President was the answer. He was killed by assassin. Then there came a loud burst of grief from the crowd which awoke me from my dream. I slept no more that night, and although it was only a dream, I have been strangely annoyed by it ever since. In the early 20th century, Sir William Barrett, a physics professor at the Royal College of Science in Dublin, and an assistant to the famous physician John Tyndall, presented research on pre-death experiences in a book called Deathbed Visions, which was published in 1926. In 1924, Sir William's wife, an obstetrician, told him about pre-death accounts of a young woman who died after delivering her child. As most of my patients had described, her dying patient also looked toward the corner of the room with an exhilarating smile, commenting on how beautiful and exalting the spiritual beings were, as well as the world that they were coming from. The dialogues with the deceased loved ones and heavenly entities were eerily similar with regards to concerns about leaving their living relatives and their strong desire to transition with their deceased loved ones towards the heavenly realm. This sort of negotiation continues until the dying find the comfort and the need to transition. Her patient made the decision to part this world once she knew her newborn child would be cared for. About 50 years later, Dr. Carlos Ph.D., director of the American Society for Psychological Research in New York, continued a systematic survey of deathbed experiences and eventually published his data in a book called The Hour of Death, published in 1977. He surveyed thousands of doctors and nurses presenting during the final hours of more than 1,000 hospitalized patients. The following are comparisons between the pilot surveys of hospitalized patients in 1961 deathbed observations by physicians and nurses in the 2005 survey I conducted where I interviewed 500-plus hospice patients and their caregivers just hours to days before their death. In the 1961 survey, four out of five deaths, which was 80%, included occurrences of survival-related visions, visions that portrayed religious and deceased persons, which 90% of deceased persons were close family members, such as parents, siblings, or children. In 2005, A survey said that there were 85 that were present, 85% present. Three out of four people, 75%, had people coming to take patients to the other side in the 1961 survey compared with the 80% in the 2005 survey. 41% of the dying experienced elation and other positive emotions as they died, according to the 1961 survey. The percentage was 90 in the 2005 survey. Could the large discrepancy be a result of the large number of physicians or nurses with varying views versus one physician conducting the interviews in the 2005 survey? Is it possible that the hospice team resolved patients' issues more timely, thus resulting in greater elation? In the 1961 survey, 29% of the dying experienced negative emotions as they died versus the 10% in the 2005 survey. Again, is this likely due to the intimate hospice care? Both surveys found that the medical that the medications and fevers do not relate to the onset of deathbed visions. Both surveys found that a patient's sex, age, religion, education, or socioeconomic factors had little or no effect on the deathbed visions. Both surveys found that hallucinations in general population mainly consisted of objects, environment, and things, and rarely in people. In the terminally ill, visions were mainly of spiritual beings, deceased loved ones, and in a heavenly environment. Both surveys found that the duration of the visions lasted between one second and five minutes in greater than 80% of dying patients. However, patients in the 2005 survey within three days of dying said that at least one angel or spiritual being was in the room at all times. Hours before dying, patients commented that the number of beings increased dramatically around 15 to 20. The 1961 survey reported that the purpose of spiritual beings was to help service help patients cross over. The 2005 survey found that spiritual beings or deceased loved ones were coming to aid in patients' life review, and that once understanding what was attained, they were guided to the heavenly realm. Those patients actively dying with major unresolved issues or with family members unwilling to accept their death took two to four times longer to depart. Three out of four patients died at peace. Both surveys found that in the interval between the first apparitions and death was approximately four weeks. Both surveys found that the sex of the apparitions were greater than 50% male and approximately 40% female, less than 5% reported androgynous beings. Types of visions and percentage of patients who saw them. God or Jesus was 30% of patients in both surveys. Angels, 24% in 1961, 90% in 2005. Parents and siblings, 20% in 61, 90% in 2005. Evil beings was only in 3%, 1961 and 5% in 2005. Both surveys found that greater than 80% of patients developed clarity of consciousness with accompanying the apparitions, usually three to five days before dying. One could conclude that these and other trends found in these pilot studies were supportive of the afterlife hypothesis. These results have been further verified, but more research is needed to corroborate the findings with more objective biochemical and radiological parameters. University of Virginia Medical School is in the process of initiating such project with hospice patients currently. And that is the end of our book. Thank you so much for listening. I know that we ran into the half an hour p- part for this. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to read a book again on this podcast, but I wanted to share this one with you because it holds such a special place in my heart. I was fascinated by it. Uh, like many, the unknown and the darkness, and it, it can be scary, but it can also be a subject of mass curiosity. And because of my active and creative imagination that I speak of often in this podcast, This book really tweaks those parts of me that want to look into the different things further. And as I've mentioned, my father, when he was in his last moments, started to grab at things that weren't there uh, in the month preceding his death. Uh, Up until his death, he started talking about what day it was. He knew the exact day and time that he was going to be passing away. Uh, He also had uh, shared uh, things that he had seen, conversations that he was having with the deceased and so forth. And so when this book fell out of my mom's beach bag many years ago, and I ended up reading it before anybody else had that I had known, uh, it was definitely a gift uh, from what I would like to think came out of nowhere, a, a gift from above. I think that everything happens for a reason, and there was a reason that this book was put into my hands that day. And whether it be to give them to the people that I've given them to or to be able to read it out loud to you, I'm so grateful that you've given me your time. And hopefully you enjoyed this book as much as I did. Again, it's called Into the Light. It's by John Lerma and it's available on Amazon. And uh, he was a hospice doctor and he took notes at all of the different patients that he had passed away in his care or at least the most uh, influential ones with stories of backgrounds from all different forms of, uh, you know, backgrounds, you know, good people, bad people, judgy people, murderers and uh helpful people that gave their life to helping others and their different experiences, and how they related to each other and maybe didn't, the commonalities of what everybody saw, and that intrigued me because. My father also was not allowed to talk about what he was seeing or anything when it got to a certain point or when it came to certain conversations that he was having and his lips were moving, but you couldn't hear anything like they mentioned in here and some of the things he was able to talk to us about and uh, pointing to things. And like I said, grabbing things and laughing out of nowhere because there were people that had come down to pick him up and I sincerely believe that with all of my soul, but Uh, This book just kind of confirmed that for me, which I thought was awesome. And hopefully it spread some messages to you. I remember the first time that I read the book, stopping and and just laying it on my chest for a minute and looking at the corner of the room and thinking, you know, what is it about the left corner of the room that these angels keep coming in to get these people and, you know, at the foot of the bed, you'll never look at the foot of the bed the same way again. At least I can't. Anyway, I hope that you got as much out of it as I did, and I really, really appreciate you listening this whole time. And if you have any feedback for me, uh, please leave a voicemail on my Anchor page, or you can reach out to me uh, on my Life Over Matter Instagram page. I would love to hear from you. Uh, And you know, if you'd ever like to do something like this again, let me know. Um, But if not, that's okay too. Um, I actually was able to do this over the course of a couple days uh, in between different other responsibilities that I had. So hopefully you enjoyed it. At any rate, I hope that you have an amazing morning, a great afternoon, and a good night.